I will try to stumble through this. But I got a question, a couple of questions for y'all. When you were growing up as a young man or as a child or a boy, how, how, much, how much time did you spend with your grandparents? Fair amount? A bunch? Weeks? Years? I think that's something in today's culture we're losing, and that's the kids spending time growing up with grandparents, especially on the, in the rural areas where you had to learn how to do something or you had to figure out how to do something or you had to figure out how to get yourself out of a bind so nobody knew that you did something. You know, those, those traits are being lost and... Uh, and, and Caleb and I talk about this stuff quite often, you know, the, the, this millennial generation or whatever you want to call them, uh, snowflakes. Now, Wade, he may jump you over that one, but they're not being taught a lot of the stuff that my generation was taught. And I was, I'm always curious how many men are, at, you know, kind of, I'd, I'd even love to do just surveys and just see how many younger men and 20s and 30s and 40s and 50-year-olds spent time with their grandparents growing up and learning how to, how to work, how to do stuff, how to be respectful, got drugged to church and all those kinds of things. It's just always interesting because, you know, what, what I think a whole lot of we're missing in America today is fathers aren't being fathers to their children. That's the number one thing. But children don't have mentors. They don't have leaders to look up to that, that take them by the hand. You know, when my kids were growing up, I hauled so many boys around, it was unreal. And then after they left, well, it was a habit. I just kept hauling boys around up until we moved over here, and then I didn't know any boys. So, you know, I hauled them with me to the farm, and, and we did things, and they rode calves and, and just all those fun things. And I still hear from all them boys. I still hear things from them and checking on Kay and I. And that's, that's just part of mentoring people and uh, teaching them what you know. And that's one of the things we're called to be is leaders and mentors and even mentees being taught by somebody. So that's what I'm going to talk about. And I want to, you know, do you think you're a leader or a mentor? Because... Most people don't, but mentors come in all shapes, sizes, colors, male, female. And believe it or not, we're all designed to be leaders, to be teachers. And some lead many, and some lead a few. And that's all right. But we're leading someone. There's always someone watching us from over yonder or over there. You know, we... We lead our wives, we lead our children, our friends, business associates, or maybe even a corporation. And it, it, you won't believe this, but at one time I made decisions for a huge corporation. I mean, what the things I did, they duplicated around the world. So, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing what influence you can have or do have, and you don't even realize it. You know, some of you may even lead a congregation. 
So some do it for the glory and the prestige, maybe the money, or because it's the right thing to do. And there are many, many reasons why we lead or we mentor or we teach. But my reason, this is why I do it, it gives me an opportunity to serve the Lord. Because you always have time to slip in some truth or you just walk the truth that you're while you're mentoring or leading. And you know, I didn't really get saved until I was 44 years old. Now I say really get saved because I got baptized as a 12-year-old boy in the Methodist church and did all that stuff and knew who Jesus was. But at 44, I realized I'd never loved him and I'd certainly never spent time with him and I had never served him. And I had two kids at that time. And uh, all I did was I did like my dad did. You know, you want to go to church? Tell your mama. And that's what, that's what my dad did. So, but uh, in July of 1998, five months after our son Wesley had been killed in a wreck, it was at that time that I fell in love with Jesus. And that... That weekend, I, I figured out that back in September, our God, my Lord, had started preparing me for our son's death, which was in February. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't know that. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew I was having some good times. And, but that's what he was doing. He was preparing me for that and laying it all out so that I could survive losing the child. And it wasn't any fun. But he, he became, Jesus became the one thing that would give me some comfort while trying to deal with this. Because it, it's tough. I mean, Audie knows, and I don't know if any of the other of you have lost a child. But it's tough. And it doesn't matter if they're a newborn or they hadn't even been born. Or if they're 40 years old. It's hard on a parent to figure out how to how to get along without that child. So during this time, I began to realize just what Jesus had come for in, for all of us, you know. And his love, his sacrifice, his forgiveness. And uh, that's what I realized during this time. Jesus gives us life here and eternally. And that's my perspective now, eternal life. I, I mean, today's great. Yesterday's gone. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow, but I know there's eternity to come. But I used to tell people I love Jesus because he saved our son's life. And they would look at me really strange because they knew he had passed. But that's a fact. It wasn't me. I didn't have nothing to do with it. Jesus and the Holy Spirit drew him, wooed him to where he made that confession of Christ and he was even serving Christ up until the night before he died and it was just it's just a cool thing to to think and see back and i'm i'm so thankful i was able to look back and see how all this progressed in my life and his life so i, I love the lord and and um, he's my all in all no doubt Whew. we'll move i'll try to try try to stay on this instead of this but 
when you go from knowing Jesus, because even the demons know Jesus, they know who he is, but when you go from that to admiring him and standing in awe of him, worship him, and loving him, you know, you can't keep from telling all those around you about him. And uh, you do that through your talk and through your actions, through the way you live your life. But when we move from sitting in church on Sunday and knowing who Jesus is to admiring him and worshiping him every day, our lives change and people notice and they start to watch to see if the old man is really gone. And we become a mentor, whether you know it or not, you're becoming a mentor during this time because people are watching and they're learning from you. And whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, you are a mentor. And people are watching. How many times has your kids done something and you're thinking, I know where they learned that. And it's not that you're teaching that to them, but you're living that. And you wish you hadn't but that happens. In Colossians 3, 9, it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, our creator. Notice it says being renewed. So it's a, it's a continual process we go through. We never fully arrive, and I don't know anybody who has fully arrived. I've seen some that think they are, but it hadn't happened. For, more, for me, it seems like the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. You know, there's, there's always more. It, you, you never hit that level up there where you got it all figured out. Take Pastor Curtis. Now, he's a mentor to many, directly and indirectly. He is as knowledgeable as anybody I know about the Bible and such things. But, but he spends countless hours each week reading and studying God's Word. And then hours in prayer. And not just praying, but listening. Because we have to be listening for what God has for us. And if you're not listening, you're missing it. And I'm telling you, it's amazing some of the things Curtis comes up to me and says and and. Have you ever had him come up and read your mail? I mean, just walk up and tell you where you're at. He has me. He's walked up and told me what I needed to do. And I'm thinking, how in the world did he know that? Because that's what I was worried about. That's what I was stood on. And I'd been praying about. But it happens because he's been praying for me. He knew what I needed. And the Lord used him to convince me of that. So it's it's cool thing, but you got to commit to spending that time in prayer and listening and reading his word. you got to spend hours with the Lord God Almighty. And we have to commit to become the man, the leader God wants us to be. And it, and it doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen just because you want it to. You have to commit and you have to put in the work, but it's well worth it. I spent many years in prayer after I got saved asking God to forgive me for not being the man he has called me to be. Now, you know, and really I didn't, I didn't know who he called me to be. I didn't have a clue. 
I didn't know what he wanted of me. I didn't know what he wanted me to be. But I knew that there was more than what I was doing. So I just prayed, Lord, forgive me for not being the man you want me to be. And one cool morning out behind my house watching the sun peek up over the horizon, which I always loved doing, I asked God, what am I supposed to do? What is my purpose? What do you want from me? And I'm telling you, I needed to know. Because this was after salvation, after everything. But I was wearing myself out for the church. I was working, in, and actually, Kay and I, this was in early 40s, mid-40s. We were the youngest couple in our church. And they were wearing me and Kay out running and doing and trying to fill all the gaps and getting things done, and it was killing me. But that's all I knew to do is work. I, I know how to work, so that's what I did. I worked. But um, loud and clear that morning in my heart, I heard, all I want you to do is to love me. And, I mean, it was just like a bucket of cold water poured on me. Mark 10 and then Luke 10, it says about the same thing. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And I realized I wasn't, I wasn't loving the Lord. I was just taking care of people. I was taking care of the administrative duties at the church. I was doing all the maintenance work at the church. I was helping this widow lady and that widow lady, which is good, but... What, what time was I spending with the Lord? And I wasn't. Just plain and simple. After this, my prayers changed when I realized all this. Where I used to say, forgive me for not being the man you want me to be. I now say, Lord, help me to be the man you want me to be. Help me know you more, to seek you more, and to love you more. So you, do, you, do you notice the difference there? I went from condemnation to hope. Because I beat myself up all the time because I knew there was more than what I was doing, but I didn't know what it was. And I was just wearing myself out. But in Psalm 71, 14 says, But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. And then in 145 says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever, and great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. My heart changed by praying prayers like this. Did a complete change. And I learned to pray from being with men like Curtis. Now, I didn't know Curtis back then. But the men around me were prayers. And uh, in fact, one, one day a week in our church at that time, we, I, we changed churches and was going to non-denominational. And uh, we, the men met one, one night a week. And it was actually, it was a smaller church than this is right here now. And we'd have 50 or 60 men, sometimes more, come and pray on a weekday night. 
And men, I saw, I saw men healed. I saw repentance. I saw forgiveness. And uh, we would worship and pray. And I mean, there were some mighty prayers lifted up. There were mighty prayer warriors. And that's, that's part of the sword there. We're warriors. We're called to be warriors for God. And that's what we were in that church and that congregation. These men fought for each other and their wives. Through prayer, they did the spiritual battles. They didn't just provide. We did the spiritual battles. And you can't neglect that stuff. Leaders are worshipers. And worshipers had a big part of my change. And it was during this time that my worship changed, actually, from being thankful when I sang or beller to full-blown admiration of Jesus. I mean, I stand in awe of him when I worship. It, it just blows me away. How much he loves me. How much he even loves Joe and Caleb. It's, I mean, it's just amazing. And when you grasp that, everything changes. Everything should change in your life when you get a grasp on that. Ooh, but anyway, one of the men that was uh, mentoring me, well, well, wait a minute, let me get this in. And it's during this time that my worship changed from being thankful to full-blown admiration of Jesus. And in John 9, 31, it says, Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. So, as you get old, your fingers don't work. But all the men who started to mentor me in that church were worshipers. If you look at the staff on, at this church, they're all worshipers. They're people that get involved in worship. But one of these men asked me to quit, to, asked me what music I listened to, and I listened to the old cowboy music, the old campfire stuff, and very little country, and I didn't listen to nothing else. I wasn't, I'm, I wasn't a big music guy. But he asked me to start listening to Christian music only. I know if you, if you listen to Caleb, they got their 30-day challenge, they call it. And they ask you just to put it on Caleb and listen for 30 days and see if it doesn't change your, your heart a little bit. But I, I started to do that. And um, my heart changed some more. And that's part of that following in love with Christ. But after all, this, this guy that, that told me about this, he's one of the men I looked up to and wanted what he had. You, you should all live your life like people that look at you want what you have. Every time you, you spend time with somebody, when you walk away from them, you, you should be leaving them better than when you found them. And you do that by speaking truth into them, by being a leader, being a mentor to them when you can, and some people are come and go, and that, that works out okay. 
You know, but if you look back in the Old Testament, a lot of the, a lot of the battles were led by the praise and worship band. They were out front marching into battle. Uh, walking around the walls of Jericho, the band was there. You know, worship is a really big part. We worship before we hear God's word. That's, that's to invoke the Holy Spirit in and, and get him fired up in you. And, you know, we don't have to call down the Holy Spirit. He lives here. You have to let him out. You don't have to bring him in. He's already here. Let him out in your worship. You know, I, I remember the first time I saw guys raise their hands, and I'm like, what in the world are they doing? Day and a half later, here I was. I got it. I understand it. It's letting the Holy Spirit out and in, in, in showing Christ your love for him. You know, I may, may never have reached that relationship with Jesus that I have if it wasn't for the mentors in my life. Some of those were there for a season, and then they went on. And some are still around. And then there are some that I have now that I've come to harvest. Guys, there are, there are so many people to learn from. And you can learn from men that mentor you, and then you can learn from the mentees, those you're mentoring. There's always something to learn from whoever you're around. Um... If you're not, I told our table this here a couple weeks ago, if you're not being mentored by somebody, you're doing it wrong. You're doing life wrong. You need to have somebody in your life that can speak truth into you, somebody you trust. And then if you're not mentoring someone, you're doing life wrong. That's what we're called to do, is, is to learn and to teach and to share. And... Uh, Let's see, where did I go? Sorry. But even on the, the, the young, the ones that you're mentoring, let's take Caleb here, for instance. I learn something from Caleb just about every week sitting there next to him. He's got something to say that throws a little bit of new light on something I thought I knew. And so you've always got to do that give and take thing, but, but to see the innocence and the hope in a new Christian or a young Christian is, is just inspiring. To me it is. To see that, that innocence and in, in that, that love. And we have a young friend that, oh, it's been a year or so ago, or two years ago, I guess. She went on, it's called the World Race. And they, these kids go in and get trained and then they leave and they, go to four or five different continents in 11 months and do missionary work. Amazing what these kids are doing. And it's a continual process. Some rotate out, some others rotate in. And uh, this young lady sent us stuff back that she was doing, and uh, it just amazed me the love she had in her heart. And, you know, and, and that come from serving others. That's what mentors do. She's, she's mentoring the people in all these other different countries. But that, that serving brings about joy, and that joy was so much fun to see in her. And, and uh, you know, when they got back from that trip, being gone 11 months, 
and I think she was in Eastern Europe the last three months. They spent two or three weeks back at the home base here in the United States. De, I don't know what you call it, de-Christianizing them or something. But all the work they did overseas, they come back here and it's like everybody's too busy. Everybody's got stuff going on. They couldn't minister to anybody because of the pace and and everybody's got everything. Everybody just goes buys it. Well, where they they were digging water wells and they were teach you know, helping to plant gardens and and it wasn't for the fun, it was f- so these people could live. But that's the stuff they learned and, and the joy in her heart was just always obvious. It's a cool thing to see. But when we meant our others, we are serving. So helping others to have a closer relationship with Christ and then mentors aren't necessarily older than you are. My two favorite mentors are younger than me. Of course, everybody's younger than me anymore. But I can take anything to these guys, any questions and any difficulty, and they will help me to see the answers by using God's word. And it's just a cool thing. And these two men have men that mentor them. I mean, they're not there either. They're still working on it. But they've got their go-to guys. And who are your guys? Who do you go to when you need help? When you need to talk about something? But you need to have somebody that you go talk to, and you need to have somebody that can come to you and ask questions. Find somebody if you don't have anybody. And how do you find... A mentor? How do you find somebody? Look for someone you can trust is the number one thing. A biblically sound guy. Someone that does things you wish you could do. Yeah. Pray for healing. Some guy prays for healing and it happens. I want what he's got. And you go and spend time with him. You go pray with him. You ask him, call me when you're going to see somebody. Call me when you're going to the hospital. You know, you do those things. You chase after it. You don't wait for it to come to you. You chase after it. You could look for a, see if I get this name right, Honai. You don't know? H-O-N-I. You'll know the story because you told me about him. This is a guy that, that lived in the generation just before Jesus. Now you know who I'm talking about? The circle maker. Circle, yeah, maker. I think that's how you say his name. But anyway, Audie knows him. He was a Jewish man that lived in the generation before Jesus, and there was a drought going on, and it was so bad that it threatened a whole generation. So one day he comes out, and he brings his staff, and he draws a circle, stands in the middle of it, and draws a circle around himself, and kneels and starts to pray. He says, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown your mercy upon your children. That was his prayer. Now, it's obvious that he had been praying for rain before this day, but it hadn't happened. So with power and authority, without a doubt, he gets up and goes outside and proclaims this prayer in front of everybody. 
With confidence and authority, he called out the prayer, and it began to rain. And it hadn't rained in a long, long time. We think it's been dry around here. It was dry there. But apparently it was just a sprinkle because while still on his knees in the circle, he then cried out, Not for such a rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, that will fill pits, that will fill caverns. And it is said that the uh, sprinkle turned into raindrops larger than chicken eggs. And it fell hard, and it fell so hard that the people that were standing around watching had to flee and go hide and seek shelter. So his prayer changed a little more. Not for such a rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. After that prayer, the rain slowed down, the drops got smaller, and there was a rain that all the people came out and rejoiced. The rain is said to have saved a whole generation. That's just amazing. And you can read about this in a book named Circle Maker, and it's by Mark Batterson. I've just started reading it, but I was like, what a mentor. You know, I read that, and I thought, it's got to go into this. Because this guy, with confidence and authority, prayed to God. And it rained. That's the kind of prayers I want to send out. That's the kind of people I want to be with. We all need to believe what we pray. And I hear people pray for someone that has something wrong, you know, a lump showed up in a test or, or spots on an x-ray, and, and they will, they'll, they'll go to their house and they'll comfort them and care, you know, and, and I know they're worried about them, but they'll pray for healing, and then they'll, in the same prayer they'll say, and guide the surgeon's hands and things like this. And I'm like, what the heck? Why? Why pray for healing and then pray for the surgeon? There's not going to be a surgeon. You know? That doesn't make sense to me. Pray for the holy healing and expect it. Sometimes healing happens, sometimes it doesn't. That's God's call. That is His call. But if we're obedient, we pray. Because that's what He tells us to do. Joe and I and our wives prayed for a man last night. He's got uh, kidney cancer, stage four. He's having to go to Chicago for healing, for treatments. And it ain't going very good, is it? So, man, we, we circled up around him and prayed for him. And I told him I expect to hear from him today that he's healed. If not today, it'll be when he goes to see his doctor again. That's my belief. I'm going to stand firm in that. And, you know, I don't want to speak negative of it, but if it doesn't happen, well, that's, that's God's call. But I'm going to believe it. And that's the way we need to go at all this stuff. We need to believe it. That's what he's told us to do. Honai prayed for rain and wasn't going to accept anything less than a gracious rain and if you want to see prayers answered find someone who prays and expects answered prayers the bible is full of mentors and mentees moses and joshua look how many years joshua followed him around <laughs> a long time then we have paul who mentored silas and timothy and mark and 
and Barnabas and Mark. And each one of these men took with them other men and women that we don't know the names of. And they were called in the Bible his helpers. But their helpers were being mentored. That's what they were doing. Yeah, they may have been helping, but they were being mentored along the way. And if you don't think you need someone to help, sorry, I'm going long. I was worried about this lasting 20 minutes. When you think you don't need someone and you think, think about it this way, the only one who never needed any helpers had 12 of them. Jesus found pleasure in teaching those 12 to love what he loved and loved who he loved. And of course, the mentoring wasn't just for the 12. He talked to thousands and then the thousands talked to thousands and see how it works and see where we are today. So God doesn't bless you with gifts or talents or wisdom so that you can hoard it, save it for yourself. He gives so that you can give. The more you give, the more you get. Now, that doesn't sound just right, but it's the truth. The more you do with what you have been given, the more God can trust with you. And the more he trusts you, the more he'll give you to do. And it's just, you just act on that faith. And take the lesson of the ruler that gave the three men the talents to do what they can. And the one had the good return. They doubled, he, he doubled his money. Uh, the ruler gave him cities to rule. The one that had the three and doubled that, he gave him other cities to rule. And then the one that hoarded it, put it away for safekeeping, he took it away from him. And this is what it says in Matthew 25. So take the talent from him and give it to him. Give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has, take even what he has away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Guys, we are not just talking about money. We're talking about life. We're talking about wisdom, knowledge, discernment teaching actually we are also talking about welding carpentry accounting farming parenting all these things the list goes on and on and whatever you do you should be teaching someone else how to do it and slip in some faith and truth while along the way what do you love that's worth teaching others have you got anything Think about that. What do you love that is worth teaching others? Jesus came to give us a relationship with God. And let's change that just a little bit. Jesus came to give us his relationship with God. I think that's a truer statement. That's what we have worth teaching others. That's it. So I'll hush now. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for these men that got up and come down here. Lord, it's just, it's a struggle for some to get up at this time of the morning. So bless them today and comfort them and teach them today, Holy Spirit. Rise up in them and show them your truths and show them the opportunities to serve you. And watch over Curtis and family and keep them safe and give them rest, complete and total. In Christ's holy name, amen.